Welcome to the Restaurant Boiler Room, Episode 12. I'm your host, Rick Ormsby, Managing Director at Unbridled Capital. Today in the Boiler Room, number one, delay franchising until the model is proven. Number two, Carroll's and Cambridge merger creates Burger King Thousand Pound Gorilla. Number three, Papa John secures $200 million in funding from Starboard Value LP. And number four, a day with David Novak, former Yum CEO and founder of Ogo Lead. The Restaurant Boiler Room is a one-stop shop for multi-million dollar merger and acquisition activity and financial complexities affecting the restaurant industry. We talk money, deals, valuations, and risk delivered to the front door of franchisees, private equity firms, family offices, large investors, and franchisors on an every-other-week basis. Feel free to find our content at Unbridled Capital's website at www.unbridledcapital.com. Now, let's enter the boiler room. Topic number one, delay franchising until the model is proven. Now, the background here, I saw an article recently in QSR Magazine entitled, Why Stalling Franchising Can Be the Best Way to Jumpstart a Brand. Now, around 12 years ago, I was a small franchisor for a startup restaurant brand. There was one very successful unit, and we franchised it in another area of the country hoping for success. There were several reasons why it didn't ultimately work, but I learned some valuable lessons along the way, lessons that lead me to believe wholeheartedly that franchising is almost always a bad idea when it is first brought up in a growing brand. Some comments here. Because of plenty of years of M&A and investment banking experience, I've been conditioned to think about how to sell something before you even buy it or invest in it. In the case of starting a new concept, in order to one day sell it for a high multiple, you need every location or almost every location to be a success in order to convince a future investor that your brand will be a great investment for them. Here are some things to consider. Number one, too many new concepts that start successfully don't have a franchising plan at all. Number two, Many brands will then sell a franchise to a friend or a buddy in a different state. This does nothing for brand awareness, and it makes the franchise very difficult to operate. Number three, when you do not concentrate your store development in a small territory, not only do you increase your operational costs and complexity, but there are no marketing synergies, and the overall failure rate is much higher. Remember, you do not want any restaurant to fail. It messes with your story to investors in the future. Number four, if you have a few successful locations, keep gradually growing in your market until you have a critical mass. Resist the temptation to move to another city or state until your first market is built out and successful. Number five, once this happens, replicate it in a second market that is nearby. Don't franchise yet. Grow the brand in the second market to profitability, sharing the operational expertise and marketing buzz with the first market. Number six, once you have two awesome markets in 10 to 15 locations or more, then it is time to enter the next phase, which could be franchised slowly in a nearby market, raise capital for more company unit growth, or sell the entire business to an institutional investor. And number seven, if you're existing franchisor and your performance is lagging, stop the franchising program until you fix your problems. Now, the effect on M&A is this. On the small franchisor side, M&A multiples have been incredibly rich, often doubling or sometimes tripling the value of a franchisee's business. As the market has gotten frothy, some small franchisors are now actually selling on a multiple of sales because there is no reliable EBITDA after factoring in new store development costs and heavy G&A spend. Interest is intense, and there are many buyers for successful and small franchisors. Why is this? 
There are several reasons, but two are primary. Number one, small franchisors can grow with incredible operating margins through franchising. In this case, the franchisor manages the brand, implements the standards, and collects an annuity stream of royalties without spending much capital. The business can grow quickly in this way, and the future sale of the company will achieve a big EBITDA multiple. And number two, many family offices and private equity firms have agreements with investors that prohibit them from becoming a franchisee, most likely due to fund life or lack of control. When you own a franchisor, you instead own the brand. Sure, you take big risks that the new brand will make it, but you also have the freedom to grow it without anyone else telling you what to do. And really, who wants to be told what to do? Now, franchising is one of the largest forces of nature in the U.S. economy. It has a huge impact on the DNA of everyday Americans all over this place. If you have a brand, be patient and avoid rushing to find franchisees. First, make your business as successful and profitable as it ever could be. Good things come to those who wait. Our second topic is Carol's and Cambridge merger creates Burger King Thousand Pound Gorilla. The background here is on a recent investor call, Carol's Restaurant Group, the largest Burger King franchisee in the U.S., announced that it has entered into a definitive agreement and plan of merger to acquire 166 Burger King and 55 Popeye's restaurants from Cambridge Franchise Holdings in 10 southern states. The transaction will be structured as a tax-free merger. Cambridge is controlled by Garnet Station partners Matt Perelman and Alex Sloan, along with several family offices. At closing, they will own approximately 16.6% of Carroll's outstanding common shares. The transaction value of $238 million reportedly values Cambridge at five to five and a half times pro forma restaurant level EBITDA. Now, I know Matt and Alex, and they were really first movers and trendsetters in the uh, franchise industry that has become much more commonplace over the last few years. These guys are Ivy League educated, New York City-based, millennial-aged, and backed by well-capitalized investors. Many brands have tried to clone this model that Matt and Alex created in Burger King, particularly in Wendy's and Pizza Hut. And obviously, at Unbridled Capital, we deal with these guys all the time now. But Matt and Alex are really the first movers in this space in that way. Now, Carol's has a right of first refusal called a ROFR in 20 states until it reaches 1,000 restaurants. In conjunction with this merger, Carol's has entered into a new area development and remodeling agreement that expands its ROFR to 500 additional Burger King restaurants, excluding the Cambridge restaurants, and also expands the company's ROFR territory to include most of Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Tennessee. Now, there will evidently also be a ROFR on Popeye's acquisitions in Tennessee and Kentucky as well. Carol's has in turn agreed to relinquish its ROFR where it is not currently expanding. Evidently, this is Connecticut, Delaware, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, and West Virginia. Surprise, surprise, mostly all of these are in the Northeast. As part of the agreement with Burger King, Carol's has also agreed to develop 200 new Burger King restaurants over the next six years and to remodel or upgrade certain of its restaurants to the new Burger King of Tomorrow image. Now, comments. This transaction is quite a big deal indeed. There's much to digest here, but here are some comments. Number one, franchisees continue to get bigger each day, or so it seems. The small guy is going away. The mid-sized guy is starting to go away. And even the large franchisee is going away too. This upcycle of M&A consolidation has really redefined our preconceived notions on what a large franchisee is. I used to think a large franchisee owned 50 locations. Nowadays, however, it seems a large franchisee must own at least 200 or more locations. Number two, 
Burger King and Popeye's Corporate, owned by Restaurant Brands International, or RBI, are clearly looking for consolidators. Extending a rofer like this is somewhat unheard of in the franchise industry. Additionally, the rofer will be increased to 1,500 locations and has mention of the Popeye's brand too. Number three, RBI is on a huge development push, a key component of their growth strategy. The addition of 200 new BK locations in six years is a great way to continue this growth plan. Number four, the announcement gets Carol's into the Popeye's brand. Expect gradual consolidation in the Popeye's brand, which has many smaller undercapitalized franchisees throughout the country, not including the larger corporate markets that were refranchised to larger operators several years ago. The Popeye's franchise system has some structural disadvantages that make a consolidation very difficult to accomplish, but if Carroll's gets an expanded rofer beyond Tennessee and Kentucky, that would help. Number five, large investors and franchisees want to operate in the Midwest and Southeast where rising minimum wage is much less of a concern. Surprise, surprise, I've said this a lot. Giving up a rofer is not something a franchisee would generally do very easily, but in this case, Carroll's has done so in the Northeast. Not many people want to own franchise businesses there anymore. Number six, I have no knowledge of this, but I would not be surprised if Matt and Alex are using this merger as their opportunity to do something else. These guys are smart, forward-looking, and ambitious. I'd be surprised to see them spending most of their time in a small ownership role at Carroll's. And number seven, a salient question is this. Are these mega franchisees a good thing for our industry? My guess is maybe so, maybe not. We will see what happens when the next financial meltdown occurs. It is not difficult to see a franchisor losing control when their franchisees are bigger and more powerful than they are. Our third topic is Papa John secures $200 million from Starboard Value LP. Now, the background here is that Starboard Value took control of Darden's board in 2014, resulting in a turnaround and huge appreciation in its stock price. Darden owns a host of casual dining brands, including Olive Garden, Longhorn, Cheddar's, and others. Steve Ritchie will remain as Papa John's CEO, and the board of directors will be expanded. At $200 million, it appears that Starboard will own between 11 and 15% of the outstanding common stock of Papa John's, and Papa John's plans to pay down debt and provide financial flexibility with the proceeds. Starboard has the option to place another $50 million into the deal, and interestingly, John Snodder voted against the deal. Now, comments. It's no surprise that Papa John's has been struggling. Q1 through Q4, 2018, North American same-store sales growth was negative 5.3%, negative 6.1%, negative 9.8%, and negative 8.1% respectively. The brand has been looking for a rebound, which has proven somewhat elusive despite leadership changes, new loyalty programs, and assistance to franchisees. Effective on M&A here? I don't know really quite what to say. Papa John's has a great product and, and a strong presence in the Midwest and Southeast. Obviously, he's a Louisville, Kentucky resident. I know the brand well. Their headquarters is near my house. Starboard does indeed have a turnaround reputation, so perhaps this capital and strategic investment will help the business improve in the near term, as franchisees and the franchisor alike are struggling with a sales reset as they roll over poor comps and look to stabilize in 2019, especially in the late Q2, early Q3 timeframe. And the final topic is a day with David Novak, former Yum CEO and founder of Ogo Lead. Now, the background here is recently I was honored to be invited to a day-long roundtable discussion at Yum Brands with six Louisville business leaders and David Novak, former CEO of Yum Brands. David Novak founded and now runs Ogo Lead, an online leadership development company. The topic of our discussion was 
to discuss best practices on recognition in the workplace and to learn from David's vast yum experience at developing a recognition-based culture that improves morale and reduces turnover. I'm a restaurant and investment banking guy, and the other local business leaders were in the fields of IT, investment management, marketing, leadership, and telecommunications. I hope you don't mind me taking a slight detour here from what we normally discuss in the restaurant boiler room. Over the years, a big portion of our company's success is due to young franchisees. Tony Petrunin in our office is a former Pizza Hut corporate employee, and I worked at both Yum Corporate and KFC Corporate. David Novak's leadership and legacy have had a big uh, impact on Unbridled, as well as the success of many franchisees over the world for decades. It was a fantastic day, quick comments, I must admit. We did about four hours of videos around a boardroom table. Much of the day was a question and answer session on recognition. David has a remarkable talent and passion for appreciating and recognizing people. He developed awards to recognize employees, a floppy chicken when he was at KFC, a big cheese head when at Pizza Hut, and a clattering teeth with feet when he was at Yum. David's office, which is still intact and is a museum of sorts at Yum today, is filled even on the ceilings with pictures where he recognized people from all over the world for their contributions to Yum. David created the How We Work Together principles at Yum and was champion of the phrase, people capability first, then customers and profits will follow. Now, here are a few takeaways that I won't forget. A recognition program needs to be well planned out and supported. That's number one. Number two, any recognition must be specific and sincere. Number three, recognition needs to tie back to your company's principles or what you're trying to achieve as an organization. Number four, most employees feel badly underappreciated and underrecognized. Number five, some studies show that recognition is more important than compensation. Number six, peer-to-peer recognition is a big deal and needs to be fostered between coworkers. Number seven, David uses props and trinkets to recognize people, but he personalizes each recognition award by writing the specific action he wants to reinforce on it. It's a great idea. Next, when developing a recognition culture, it can be a trial and error approach. Just go for it and adjust as you learn. And finally, almost everyone in an organization will appreciate being recognized for a job well done, regardless of the personality type. Thanks so much for entering the Boiler Room today. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you like these podcasts, please listen, rate, and review. I also encourage you to visit our website at www.unbridledcapital.com for the best franchise M&A and financial resources in the industry. Our website includes podcasts, videos, white papers, and a list of our M&A transactions. Please note that neither Rick Ormsby nor Unbridled Capital LLC give legal, financial, or tax advice. These podcasts represent opinions that have been prepared for informational purposes only. We expressly disclaim any and all liabilities that may be based on such information, errors therein, or omissions therefrom.